I have always had friends in my life. I've always had family in my life. I've always had people in my life who didn't want to have anything to do with God and didn't want to have anything to do with the church. It's always been the case. It's easy, really, if you think about it. Uh, If you live somewhere, if you work somewhere, if you go to school somewhere, they're probably there too because they're kind of like everywhere. That's just where they are. When I was younger and I was a Baptist, I didn't have a church that I could bring them to just any Sunday. Um, For several reasons. One, there were stereotypes in play about Baptists. And then secondly, we talked in Old English in our services you know, where uh, we read out of the King James Bible, and then when somebody would pray, it was kind of like along the lines of, oh, our Heavenly Father, eternal God, we beseech thee this morning, you know, and it was kind of that cadence thing, and I would have to do the explaining, because normal people don't talk that way, so it was the whole, okay, if I talk to God, do I have to talk to God that way, the way your pastor's talking to him? And it just created confusion, so there were designated evangelism Sundays, okay, and so that's how we kind of handled it as a Baptist, and that was my cue uh, to invite some of my friends. Um, From the get-go at Generations, we've actually wanted to create a church culture where people who've given up on God and given up on church would want to be. And they'd want to be because we valued them as people and we wouldn't judge them. Let me give you a couple of examples. This has played out in the life of our church. If you've been here from the beginning, you will know the Sunday I'm talking about. There was a Sunday when a bunch of Asbury College students showed up in their punk gear. Some of them are here this morning, yes, okay. They were all gothed out in all their goth glory. Purple hair, black chains, the whole nine yards, spikes. How many churches in Nicholasville do you think they could have showed up at and not been judged? Yeah. I've had a number of you come to me privately and and do some version of this admission. You know, Max, one of the things I like about Generations is the fact that... um, And I'm not saying that I always do this, but, you know, um, like, I don't vote a straight-ticket Republican. And it really frosts me. The people at work that are Christians, they think, like, you know, they think I'm going to hell because I don't. And I know I'm not. (laughs) And, okay, and, and they like the fact that they can be here and actually vote in a way that's different from the religious right, and it's okay. All right, and, and that's part of what it means to love and accept people where they are on these non-important issues. Um, we, wanted to create, we wanted generations to have that kind of church culture uh, so that these people would be listened to and so that they could air their ideas about God and life and not get clubbed over the head right, right off the bat. You know, how, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, you run into them and they come here and they've got these ideas about God that just aren't who God is or ideas about how life works, and that's not how life works. And in other Christian settings, it's so easy to go, Romans 6, 34. Here it is, and here's why you're wrong. Boom! Thank you for pointing that out, Max. I feel better now. I'm never going to see you again. Okay? There's, now, there's a couple of ways that people tend to end up here at Generations. I'm not going to tell you anything you don't know. The two big ways that people end up here is they find us on the Internet. This is, and I always get some version of this story. They read what's on the Internet, and they don't believe it. They do. I'm serious. Nine times out of ten, this is what they tell me. I read your stuff on the internet and I thought, these guys are full of themselves. There is no way there's a church like this because they, you know, and Matt tells me he can tell the, the non-generations people by how they click through and what pages they visit. We don't know who you are, okay? It's, that's okay, right? But we can see that someone goes to the code of conduct page and then the belief page and then the, about the staff page. You already know about me. You don't want to know anything more, okay? And so um, 
And so they read all that stuff and they show up, they found us on the internet because they want to make sure, is this, is this true or are you guys just a bunch of liars? And it's enough to pique their curiosity to get in the car and drive out on a Sunday morning. Or, or the second big way they come is because I've invited them, you've invited them, they've been invited. And that's how they kind of end up here. Um, a few years ago, we learned this lesson the hard way. Uh, we tend to think of people in this area as de-churched. And de-churched is when you have a church background long time in your past, and then you're kind of making your way back. Um, we actually had an unchurched family show up one Sunday, and uh, we did a kid stuff thing where Isaiah has that game, you know, and the answer is always C. And I think the question was, who was Mary's husband, the stepfather of Jesus? And he couldn't get Joseph, and Joseph was C, and everybody in the audience was like, C, Joseph! And, you know, I think he picked, like, Abraham or something and lost the game. And then we were like, we're not going to have Bible things anymore in our choir. You know, <laughs> we, we made a change that Sunday. Uh, but most, most of the people in this area, most of them are what I call de-churched. And de-churched means this. They grew up Baptist, they grew up Catholic, but that was five years ago, ten years ago, in some cases, 30 years ago. And they come in, and they come in with some ideas about God that simply aren't true. They might think that God is distant, that God is judgmental, that God doesn't really care. They might, they have ideas about Christians, that Christians are hypocritical, they're shallow, not capable of really understanding deep thoughts. Um, People like this have always been around. They were around 50 years ago. They were around 100 years ago. They were around 1,000 years ago. It's just the flavorings that, that flavor them change over time. But these people have always been around. In fact, they were around in Jesus' day. And I want to go back to a passage that we were in in G-Town and Kid Stuff last week. And that passage is Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. Uh, and it's the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. We've talked about this once in church before, but we're going to wade into Je- Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Okay? All right? So Zacchaeus, here we go. Here's the story. Uh, and it starts in 19 verses 1. We're going to go through all 10 verses, but we're going to stop at certain points along the way. Jesus entered Jericho. Y'all remember Jericho? It's a famous town, right? The walls came tumbling down. And he made his way through the town. And there was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. And when he came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest at your house today. I want to stop there for a minute, okay? Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector. That meant he was at the top of the food chain. Uh, think Amway, and you got in right at the beginning, okay? And now, now you have 50,000 people under you. And anytime they sell one of those little grow-your-hair products on your head, you get 10 cents. Only you're getting 10 cents from 50,000 people. It's just amazing to be at the top of the pyramid. Well, Zacchaeus was at the top of the pyramid, and he was getting chunks and chunks of money. Every time the tax collectors went out and collect taxes from you, you know, hi, I'm, you know, I'm Paul, I'm here to collect your taxes today. And they'd turn you upside down and shake you and sell your children. And then Zacchaeus got a part of that, okay? So he was very, very wealthy. Only most of the people in Jericho knew Zacchaeus is a crook. He's a thief. 
He is taking things that aren't his. I know what the Roman tax rates are, and he's shaking all this stuff out. That money is blood money. That's what that money is, okay? They had had conclusions about Zacchaeus, all right? So Jesus spots him up in the tree and says, Zacchaeus, quickly, come down. I must, and the Greek word there is dei, which means must. Sometimes it's obvious. I must be a guest in your house today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and, and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. This word for complaining is the same word in the Greek translation of the Old Testament that's used of the Israelites when they're wandering in the wilderness. And they complain about it. All we get to eat is manna in the morning and manna at night. We've been on the road forever and a day, and God's never going to deliver anything. Thank you very much, Yahweh. Okay? Murmuring, complaining, grumbling. That's what they're doing. And they've concluded that Zacchaeus is not somebody God would be interested in. We know all about Zacchaeus and the life he lives. Thank you very much. You, teacher, should have nothing to do with him. Why would you go to his house? Well, let's pick up the rest of the story, verses 8, 9, and 10. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I'll give half my wealth to the poor. And if I've cheated people on their taxes, Lord, I'll give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost." Going to Jesus, uh, Jesus going to Zacchaeus's house conveyed acceptance. Everybody in the crowd knew it, and they were frosted by it. And yet, in, in, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall during that dinner conversation, wouldn't you? I mean, how did Jesus bring up the whole, you know, the money you have isn't really yours? I mean, how, what was the awkward moment? Did Zacchaeus squirm in his seat? I mean, how did he come to this revelation that he had wronged people? How did he come to accept Jesus for who he was? I mean, how did that play out? I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall. But anything I know about Jesus tells me that I bet Jesus waded in the way he did with all those people who were lost and had lives that others had written off, which is he front-loaded acceptance. And that created a context of safety wherein Zacchaeus realized, oh, oh yeah, that's how you want me to treat people. That's how God wants his people to be treated. Duh, okay, okay. And if there's any doubt as to Zacchaeus's conclusions, you know, Luke tells us he's going to give away half his wealth. Generous people in the first century would give away 20%, not 50. And then anybody he's cheated, he's going to give them back four times as much. I read this passage, and you know what I conclude? Zacchaeus is now poor because he's not going to have anything left. I mean, of this vast wealth, he's going to be, you know, begging for money in the next thing. So here's a couple of questions. In light of this passage, in light of how God values people, I want to ask us a couple of questions. And here's question number one. Who are some of the people in your life who've given up on God or given up on church? I want you to think of some of them and their names and who they are right now. Who are some of those people? Have you tended to see them as a lost cause? And if so, why? Are they really beyond God's attention? Are they really beyond 
what God wants to do in their life. If you have had a hard time just now thinking of anyone, let me ask you a question. Is it really worth it to spend all your time with Christians? I mean, really? Are they really that fun? No, I mean, you know, you know what I'm saying? Really? Okay? So I want to create a church culture where these people would want to be because they're accepted and welcomed, because they're listened to, because there's the relational safety to air what it is they think about God and life in a context where they're not going to get immediately clubbed, where there's going to be a back-and-forth conversation, a dialogue, the way it's supposed to be. Are we going to maintain our biblical integrity in the process? You bet. But we're going to do it in a way so that people can find their way back to God. I want to tell you about some of the people in my life who've given up on God and given up on church. I've changed their names because the third person I'm going to tell you about I know listens to me online. <laughs> and I've not asked his permission. Okay? So Paul, let me tell you about Paul. Paul, Paul grew up Catholic, and he went to uh, Catholic school. Then he went to a public university, and uh, it's my age. And uh, he, he uh, figured out pretty early on God's real. So he's convinced that God's real. But to him, uh, Christianity is nothing more than a list of rules. He goes, oh, Max, yeah, 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 I know. Christianity, don't drink, don't have sex, go to church and pray. Got it. Real simple. Got it. And, and the other thing, when, I, when we're talking about God and what God is like, God's this kind of person who made things and then kind of went off to do his own thing. God really doesn't have anything to do with life anymore. I mean, he's just kind of off and out there. And that's, that's what Paul thinks. He's convinced of it. Okay, then, uh, then there's Todd. Todd's dad was a minister. And he was a minister in like a church of God, church of God in Christ. Whatever it was, it was like totally uber conservative. Okay, so growing up, boys have short hair. Short hair boys, cut your hair, cut your hair. Short hair, no more than, you know, two fingers above the collar. However that worked, I don't know. Girls, dresses, you know, paint the barn, but don't paint it too much because you don't want to draw attention to yourself. You know, that kind of stuff. Don't listen to rock music. And dad was always gone all the time because, you know, the church needed stuff and there was always stuff going on in the church. And, and Todd, for many, many years, he doesn't believe this anymore, but for many years, he was convinced that God was just like his dad, that God was absent and pretty much disapproved of anything Todd did. And it took a long time for him to get to a point to, to go, oh, God is not my, like my dad. God's different. God's better. Okay? Uh, to this day, to this day, he still has long hair. Want to know why? It's sticking it to his dad. That's what he's doing. <laughs> I always go, you going to cut it? No. Uh-uh. <laughs> I ask him, okay? Then, then there's Lewis. Lewis is someone I met a few, couple, few years ago. Lewis is a believer. He has a pretty biblical uh, understanding of God. He, he's given his heart over to Jesus Christ. He has a pretty biblical understanding of how life works. And about uh, four years ago, uh, he was really being uh, mentored by the pastor of their church. This, this was a church of maybe 200 people. And then one Sunday, without any warning, the church board fired that pastor, and they didn't give him a farewell thing, the, any, nothing. The next week, he was literally gone. Well, Lewis was devastated. And... and and he has not darkened the door of a church in guess how long? Four years. Want to know why? All Christians are alike. 
They're just a bunch of manipulating political, you know, I, and I can't trust them. I can trust God. I just can't trust Christians. Thank you very much. We have these conversations. And I, I can tell there's this part of him that's like, yeah, I don't, I don't believe you about your church. You're lying, Max. I mean, and it's, it's woven. I can see it on his face. And he's going to get there. He's going to get there because I'm praying for him. God's working on him. But you know people like Paul and Todd and Lewis, don't you? You work with them. You live next door to them. Generations is here for them. What does this mean specifically in terms of the, the coming year? Uh, there's some changes I want to make with uh, the folks who host on Sunday mornings. I want to dial up some purposefulness. They're purposeful already, and I'm so grateful for the guys that are intentional. And, and in case you've ever wondered why certain people, it's like, you know, it seems like the third Sunday of the month, I always see so-and-so in the lobby. <laughs> well, that's for a reason. Why? Because these people are important, and we want them to feel welcomed, and we want to be intentional about it. Why? Because that first Sunday is often a make-it-or-break-it Sunday, isn't it? Because they come in here and they're more or less trying out the car to know, is this what I thought it was back as a kid or are you really different from what I'm hearing and been told or read? And, and, and so that first Sunday is critical. Um, and so there's some specific changes we're going to make along that. I need your help as a church family. You know what? I need you to be intentional with, with folks that you're, rela- you're developing relationships with or folks who come into generations. Uh, this is a pretty good church in that we don't have very many clubs. But, but as they're airing their God ideas, resist the urge to immediately correct them. Ask some clarifying questions. Why do you think God is that way? Well, how, how is it that you came to conclude that and start towing it out? Well, you know, I happen to believe this, and here's why. And so that you're having a conversation, you're having a dialogue, and you're going about it that way. Um, and what does this mean? Here's where the rubber hits the road for you and me. Be intentional uh, to cultivate some relationships in places where these people congregate. Um, uh, several good friends of ours sat Jenny and I down this uh, spring, and they were like, you know, you guys, Jenny, you need to not coach the Lone Oak Sharks this year. And so we were like, okay, well, maybe, maybe she shouldn't, maybe we shouldn't. And then we went back to our conversations um, Jenny volunteers in the summer. She doesn't she didn't get paid for this. She coaches a swim team in our neighborhood. That's what she does. I love it. We made the decision to switch from Firebrook to here, one, because it was in our neighborhood, but two, uh, we wanted to develop relationships with people who didn't live in Lexington, who lived where we live, who were outside the church. And the swim team has given us a perfect opportunity to do that. I wear it as a badge of honor that we got invited to Margarita Light Night last year. And they said, they said, we know, we know you're not going to drink, but we want you to come. You know what that told me? I'm a safe person for them. And I know where relational safety can go. It can bring me to a point where there's vulnerability and we can talk about real stuff and we can talk about God and life and the meaning of life and everything else. I want to pray for you, but I wanted to end out today uh, with a, a, a something from the skit guys because God cares about these people. And I wanted you to see and feel the weight of just how much God cares about them. As they say in the skit, he's kind of fond of these people. Uh, let me pray for you before we, we, we watch this together. Father, we want to be a church. We want to be a church family 
that welcomes people who are not necessarily the same as us, who have decided that maybe for any number of reasons they can't count on you or they can't trust Christians. We want to be a place where they can be, where they can air out some of these things. And we want to help them to discover all that you really are, that you really are trustworthy, that you really are good, that your son Jesus Christ really did open the door to make everything right. And that Christians, when they're Christians, actually are better and treat people better because love is the primary motivator in everything they do. We want to be that kind of place. Father, help us in the days ahead uh, to take some hills where more people who've given up on God and given up on church can discover your grace and your love and a community of faith. And I pray these